0: Okay, so it's actually okay, back to the podcast. It's been long since we are you know, uploading this. So on this podcast, we have Varun dugirala Without any further ado, let's jump right into it. I guess so before we begin, like I have this thing on the podcast where I do not do intros. Firstly, because mm. the person I'm introducing will introduce themselves better, and other than mm. that, I'm, I'm partly I'm bad at introductions. So for the people who don't know who is Varun dugirala what does he do? What does
1: Who is Varun dugirala So um. Quick uh, flashback, I am a creative entrepreneur. I, I started a company called The Glitch way back in 2009, um, after quitting music television, uh, two-person apartment startup, which became one of India's largest uh, creative agencies. So we have about five, 700 people now um, across a couple of bunch of cities in India, um, we're part of a global network. We got acquired in 2018 by uh, WPP, the global ad network. Um, I also am a... Um, small town boy who started, who did an extended stint of doing engineering and then eventually landed up in the media space and then obviously started the glitch. Um, 2018 onwards, I've started doing a podcast called Advertising is Dead where I talk about how the whole space of advertising, media, marketing and business is changing. I've been doing that for about 175 episodes now. I also host two more podcasts. One's called Take a Pause where I share my learnings on developing the right mindset, um, dealing with motivation, um, and, uh, just performing better in life and think fast, which is basically a weekly roundup me and Suchita who's the co-founder and CEO at LBB. We talk about everything that's happened in business that week. Um, I also post random videos on Instagram, have tried to do YouTube in recent times, I have a four and a half year old daughter and two Shih Tzus.
0: Interesting. Awesome. So the first question begins, like, why so many podcasts? What is it about podcasts that appeals you so much, right? So I have I, I have a couple of insights as well, because I've been doing podcasting since two years, not that many mm. episodes, sadly, but still like a tad bit of experience. So why mm. podcasts? What do you like about it so much?
1: Um. So I wasn't a podcast listener before I became a podcaster. Um. I went in, uh, as a guest on someone else's podcast pilot, and one thing led to another, and I was asked if I want to host my own um, and I ended up, I'm this supposed to land it up in the ad in, uh, industry without ever working in the advertising industry.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I always wanted to know how things work in a broader space because I came from content, I came from production. Um, so that's how advertising is dead happened. I just, okay, let's try it out. Let's see how fun it is. But um, I feel the good part with podcasts is that A, it's really deep and and I would say um, All encompassing conversations, right? I think with video, we tend to compress things a lot more. We tend mm-hmm. to cut things up a lot more. In audio, you can actually let it free flow, and it has a certain connection with the audience, which I think video still doesn't get as much, unless it's a video podcast, which is again whole mm-hmm. different animal to itself. For sure. Um, why do minis? Not all content fits into the same podcast. Um, very early on, I mean, I think about 100 plus episodes of advertising is dead. I realized that I wanted to talk about more things beyond business which is when like what was then called the Varun show and now called take a pause started and uh, think fast literally happened almost as a random thing because Suchita and I both talk about what's happening in the business space over weekend calls. And we said, can we just take a call if we do every second week and make it a podcast and that's how it happened. We just, we both like to have our own take on what's happening in the world of business and uh, we just thought the best way to do it was to do a podcast. So I think it's, you need to find the right property um, mm-hmm. and it, see if it fits into what you're already doing or does it have to be a different show. Uh, that's the reason why I do it. It's deeper involvement, audience is a lot more engaged and um, it's not as complicated to do compared to video.
0: Interesting. So do you think it's like a performance you put up and different, different personalities you show in all the different podcasts you do or is the same person mm-hmm. saying the same things on three different podcasts with, with differing contexts? So- I think I'm largely the same person.
1: Um, the only thing is, I think my tonality changes a little bit. Um, so mm. like take a pause, for instance, right? I'm talking about mindset development. I'm talking about, you know, uh, everything from like self-doubt to confidence to, you know, mindset building. So my pace of speaking is a lot slower because it's meant to be almost meditative when you listen to it. Right. Hmm. So I pace myself that way. But of both of the others, I'm pretty much the same tone of voice. Um, so, in general, my voice doesn't change. I think maybe the tonality basis, how we want the experience to be, will evolve. But um, I think the person I am is the person I am, and I bring uh, that to the table. And um, say so that's how I look at
0: it. Because like almost in any other form of content, like except podcast, it's always a performance someone is putting up, right? And and, mm-hmm. and, and it is required. But I think in podcast, it's not. So for me, it's like podcasting is just like a playing field. I'm just I have nothing to lose here, right? I'm just a student, just asking mm. random questions to whoever I, like. Yeah. and it's. I mean, it's, it's just me. I I don't do any prep for the podcast. I just mm. have a couple of questions and pointers here and there if I become blank. But other than that, it's just it's me. So the next question for that is, so it is a long-form content, right? So it's very difficult mm. to sort of make sure you're always, always making sense because for, for like an hour, I'm, it's mm-hmm. difficult for everybody to make sense for an hour, right? So how, yeah. how, how, how yeah. do you develop that? How to make sense for an entire hour?
1: Um, so it's easier to make sense for an hour if it's two people um, because all mm. you're sitting down and doing is having a conversation, right? Um, mm. So I start with a few things. I know how I want to start every conversation and I want know how I want to end it. Um and in between is what you need to figure out. And I basically put down pointers that I want to cover through that conversation. I never write down questions. Um I write down pointers. Okay. Like I'll give you an example. Um mm-hmm. I have an episode coming out very soon, uh, where I recorded with uh Cedat Warrior, right? Um, mm-hmm. who does neuroscience content, yeah. etc. I'm like, okay, I know I want to ask Sid about the science of motivation. I know I want to ask him about our how food connects to our brain because I know that's something he's on a fasting uh, focus in recent times so I'll pick a few things like that make a list and then while you I know my first question and my my last question Hmm. in between bases how his responses are is what I find so I think oftentimes the way to have a long winding one hour two hour uh, three hour conversation is to have enough points in front of you and to listen enough to the other person that you will actually find your next question in what, uh, the other person said, hmm. um, like I've been on an Amit Varma podcast where he, on his podcast, where I think our conversation was three hours, Wow. that we spoke for three hours and, uh, we actually only podcast recording ever in my life where so I had to take a loop break in between the recording, um, but over there, I, I could see that he had research on one side. He had pointers on the other. So, um, it helps to have those. Sometimes you don't even need them. You just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. But just have a list of things saying, okay, these are points I know I need to cover or I want to ask about. Um, it's a good backup to have. And and that's how you do it. So you, you header and footer and um, also don't go on for too long about one topic.
2: Hmm.
1: I think the Indian audience, by my calculation, this is totally my metric on my content is that um, eight minutes, seven to eight minutes is a threshold Indian audiences have on one topic interesting so if you want to go longer on that topic you switch to something else and bring it back to it um otherwise your retention drops and uh, that's me basically looking at my data and learning that part and trying it out and seeing that the retention improved so that's been my learning from my content um but i think it will differ from podcaster to podcaster
0: okay so let's talk about that right let's say someone wants Mm. to put a lot of nuance in the conversation let's say let's say you're talking about neuroscience and you already have like uh, a good enough user like good enough listener base so how do you make sure that the content is consumable enough for that many Mm -hmm. number of people because if you if if it's too much of nuance people will just drop off right so how do you maintain that how do you maintain that sort of quality but also make it consumable for everybody
1: you need to um, a start off with saying, okay, am I covering the basics? What if somebody doesn't know anything about neuroscience? I, are my other things I'm asking going to cover that without seeming like that's the only thing. So hmm. it's that whole scaling up of, okay, let's say I've asked, let's go back to what I said, right, science of motivation, start off with um, talking about how does our mind work when we are, when you find motivation, right? Uh, you start off with that. So he, he, you know, you speak about that Then, basis the responsive. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead till a point and this happens over time of doing podcasts is you realize okay I think I've gone far enough on this one hmm. and I need to move to something else um, you get that intuition but I feel what also helps is a constant look at the data so what I actually do is all po- all podcasting platforms give you the retention graph hmm. so I kind of go and see where the drop-offs are happening and you go to that point in the episode and see what happened there like what did we say at that point it's like 20% of people just dropped off and you over time use that to train your mind to look at it. Um, now I have, it's almost like a mental clock for me. Like I know when I need to go for a break. I know when I need to shift a topic. Um, but I think I still go back to the um, the retention graph so often because I learn so much from it, right? It's, I mean, data can't lie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it teaches you things and just using that in that sense. But I, I feel uh, also from the nuance point of view, it's an interesting question you asked, um, is that I feel people want nuance. What they don't want is for you to get into the same point again, again, and again. Hmm. So whenever you feel it's repetitive, let's say you and I talk about something, right? if it's getting repetitive, that's a good time to switch topics um, because because you 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 don't have anything more to go to, so you end up just doing the same thing again and again. Hmm. Um, but and, and and that's another way to kind of gauge if you need to switch topics.
0: Yeah, and, and a really interesting example of that is how Tanmay uh, did the mm. show with Sid, right? Like when, I, I think yeah. a year or two back, when they did neuroscience yeah. series on his second channel. And that had like crazy retention for the time. And it being like pure neuroscience stuff, I think yeah, inducing fun in the conversation with nuance is something very difficult. Not everybody can do, it, do that. Not so, everybody do it, yeah. Connecting that, how how was the episode with Tanmay? I listened to that like a couple of months ago, so because I think it's been long yeah. since you did it. Did yeah, 2020, about? I think, yeah. Yeah. How does it feel to speak uh, while speaking to a person who can be incredibly funny at times, but also serious? Mm-hmm. Because he's very he's respected in the crypto circle, right? Yeah. How, how does it feel yeah. to talk to someone like that?
1: So Tanmay and I have a very old relationship, right? I, mm-hmm. I've known him since I was in college and he was in college. Um, okay. I've literally met Tanmay for the first time when he came from my college festival in 2006, if I remember right. 2005, 2006. Um, very early on, he just started doing stand-up. Um, and I, so I've known him since then he was once a contestant on a reality show I was producing so I so I, me and Dana have known each other over the years and we meant to do um, you know an episode together and just in the middle of the pandemic I said let's just do this we, we got to make this happen and but I think the important part is that y- if you have a naturally entertaining and a naturally um, I'd say a guest with depth you don't have to try and match that what mm. you, all you need to do is just give them like, just navigate the conversation. Um, you're just saying, okay, I know he has all the info. I know she has all the info. I just need to get all of it out in this one hour. So what I'm doing is I think most times I love my questions would be like, oh, that's a super interesting point. I want to dig into that a lot more. Uh what do you think about this addition to that? So, and then mm. leave it. Right. And, and then most of these guys, they're like, they're like fire. They just like go with it. Um, the flip side of that... Actually, I think one of the toughest conversations I had... Was when I spoke to Ronnie hmm.
2: Um,
1: Ronnie Scruvala is super sharp... But he's too, super to the point. So his responses are a full stop. Like he will give you a response... And that's a statement. Um, he doesn't give you something to take ahead. Hmm. He has given you the final statement. right? There it gets tough... Because there you need to make sure... You're contributing enough. Because A, there's a lot of weight in what he said but you just can't finish the episode off in 20 minutes. Yeah. So you've got to figure a way to fill the gaps, to have more things to ask, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully find one or two questions where you can actually lead it further. But um, I think most guests, especially someone like Tanmay, it's very easy to do an episode. I think it's the easiest one um, to do. It's tougher to make it seem like something he hasn't done before. Because hmm. anybody who is a somewhat public figure uh, or a creator has had has said so many things online. Mm-hmm. At which point, how do you get them to say something they haven't said before? Like how do you for give sure. them a topic they haven't spoken about before? And that becomes a tough part. So figuring out the topics you want to pick for them. Um, that's the tricky one,
0: man. That's see, I have, I have a very similar experience with that, right? So I think it, this was my second or third episode. I got Warren Maya and I was, mm. I was oh man, like, so super deep. Yeah. I was, see what I did was, was like very stupid, right? So I tried to add a point. To everything he said. Sort of an addition, I, mm. I thought that in a podcast yeah, Which is what I,
1: podcasters should do. Which is yeah. the basic like faculty doing that is, is perfect because that's exactly what every podcaster should do
0: Yeah, but I tried too hard. <laughs> that's the problem. So I, <laughs> I ended up saying a couple of stupid things. But like after a point, like when I got Chopra, I'm not sure if you I'm sure you've heard of it, right? I've heard of him mm. on Twitter. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that I was just just like a tiny shant student. Mm. I was listening to everything yeah. he said. And just gave him like one question, made him speak for like five to six minutes on one question. And yeah. I think for certain certain cases that works, right? But it seemed like an interview. So the next question for mm-hmm. this is how to make sure a podcast doesn't sound like an interview.
1: Um, what you did in Varun Maya's case is how you make it not seem like an interview, you have to contribute something as the host mm-hmm. and, but you don't have to contribute in every question. I feel that that's the gauge is that um, at some point, are you at least speaking 30% of the time? on an average is a good gauge. Um I'd say the guest speaks about seventy percent of the time uh of you have and you speak for 30% is a good gauge, but in, in your head, you'll never stick to that exactly. But sure. it's basically like your responses cannot be or other your questions shouldn't be longer than their responses.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh, in most cases. It happens sometimes. I've had guests who have spoken so little that I would say fifty percent episode was me talking. But that's fine. Um what you need to just look at the fact that you speaking too much shouldn't make them feel like, all right, if they, he wanted to talk, why did he call me?
0: Sure.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, that's the only line. And that only comes from the fact that as long as you're not trying to compete with your guests, which happens with a lot of podcast hosts, right? Hmm. Oh, he said something clever. So I'm going to say something more clever than that. Um, that's where you falter because the show is about your guest. It's not about you. Interesting. You bring the questions, you bring your personality to it. Uh, The kinds of questions you ask, the way you ask it. Uh, You also dropping your perspective about certain points which they've made is what makes the show yours. But it is largely about your guest.
0: Interesting. What's been your like toughest conversation? Like other than Ronnie Skruwala.
2: Mm.
1: My toughest conversation was when I was actually a guest. Um, Wow. For I think last year's Valentine's Day episode, uh, IBM had an interesting idea. They said, let's get Pooja, my wife, to come on as the host. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And she would ask me questions. And she refused to tell me what she's going to ask me about. Um, So I said, fair enough, let's go in with this. And I felt that she asked me a bunch of questions I hadn't been asked before. Um, And I think I addressed them well. But I think that was one of those, like, I really have to figure out how to say this, right? Because also a person who knows me so well Mm -hmm. um, and... um, she didn't put me in the spot, but she did let put me. I was under a bit of pressure to make sure that I I, I mm-hmm. performed right on that one. Yeah, I'd say that is one. But from a host perspective, I think the toughest one, if I had to really recount and think about, um, I won't name the episode sure. for a specific reason,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I once forgot I had an episode to record. Okay, huh. And five minutes before the recording, I realized there was, I didn't have my research. I had not done my research for that one episode, which actually required a lot of research because it's super technical.
2: Hmm.
1: And um, I spent five minutes going through it. Thankfully, just ask them some pre-chat questions before we hit record on the topic. And I had to wing a super technical episode with zero or almost zero homework. I mean, norm- some if you're doing creator economy, some of those things is easier to do, right? Yeah. You're used to talking about it. But this was like some deep level science stuff in advertising. What
0: did, so you, say? Like, what did
1: you say? I just asked more questions. Uh-huh. Um, I just stuck to that. I went full layman. Like I'm like, is this how it works? How would it work? Just like, explain to me like I'm a child. So sometimes I'm, I just played on that. It, it worked. Um, nobody noticed it. Mm-hmm. But um, I was super ill prepared for that one.
0: I, I actually did the same thing, but i I went to the uh, the the episode I did with Dinesh pirate right? the he's, mm. he's someone who heads investments in Zeroda and didn't matter. Mm. So I know nothing about the stock market. i I know the basics, but i I know I know nothing about the stock market because he's Dinesh, he knows everything. So I went in the mm. podcast and I started from the basics, mm. and I think that was more fun right? was if I tried mm. saying somethingKha this is this, this edition, that wouldn't be fun was entering yeah. a conversation like a layman. I think that's the most comforting part because it's it's almost like you're in a class. It's, it's right? less
1: pressure for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, like for me, Advertising is Dead is about me being a learner. I'm, I I believe that like, you know, you asked me a while back, is it performance? I feel it's personality. Hmm. Um, On Advertising is Dead, I am a learner. I am playing my audience. I'm asking the questions I know my audience wants answers to. Um, So even if I have a little extra knowledge, I sometimes hold back from saying it. Hmm. On Thinkfast, because it's just the two of us as hosts and giving perspective, I give a lot more perspective about what I think uh, something means or what I think something, uh, what I think something really, uh, you know, kind of deals with, mm-hmm. but, and again, on, on, on take a pause, I go a lot slower because I'm like a deeply nuanced talking about stuff that's in your mind. So it's the personality uh, and, and sometimes your personality will shift even from episode to episode basis, your guest. Um, hmm. some people are serious. You can't get into like a fun mode, but I, like I've done an episode with Viraj Gelani and Pulkit Kocher, right oh, on, mm-hmm. on meme marketing. And that was one of the fun, cause I think half, I think 25% of the episode, we're talking about welcome in a marketing conversation, right? Because hmm. most memes, even they don't think of a meme, they go watch welcome again. For um, sure. It mm-hmm. is one category of meme creators. So I was like, okay, and you can't help not have fun with it, laugh and be like that. But in some cases, the super like serious topic, you are going to go like, you no, know, your tone will go down. So I feel it's the personality in many ways.
0: For sure. right? It's, it's like I have like just one returning guest, Abhita. And he was like mm. the guest on the second one, Dipan Parashar. He's like almost the same age. Mm. And I think my personality mm. shifts uh, while I'm talking to someone is let's say closer to my age or like yeah. double or triple my age. It's usually that. So do you think our personality yeah. changes from language to language?
1: It does. Um, mm-hmm. I feel that the way a language is spoken um, requires you to change that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You can't say it the same way. Like, I, you know, I've considered doing take a pause because it's a lot of it is short bites episodes, which I'm doing um, as uh, a Telugu show. Right? Telugu is not my mother tongue. I'm like, sure I just in Telugu? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I'll have to say it differently. I've actually done a like, I think I did a sample recording once just for my own like listen, uh, listening and I realized the tone was so different and I wasn't sure. But then I went and I went on as a guest on a Telugu podcast. And I realized that's exactly how I spoke there as well. So it's just innately how you speak a language. Like if I do Hindi, it sounds a lot different from how I am normally. But as a normal person, I can mix those two together. It's just about how you put a point across. How do you explain something um, and how you explain something in English versus Hindi versus Telugu is going to so different um, that I think it's meant for different audiences. Um, and it will appeal to different audiences in different ways
0: yeah and I think it's, it's it's also about the topic right let's say you're talking about crypto Yeah, it will be difficult yeah. to talk about crypto let's say in Marathi I, it's yeah because you're going to use so many different. terms which are only
1: going to be English and you're yeah. going to have to explain that Um, but that would make a great but on the flip side what I feel it also does is it um it democratizes conversations about the topics mm. which somehow seem only like they're for English, right? Like, like I said, crypto, imagine a crypto podcast in, in Marathi or in Telugu or in let's say, Canada. for me it would suddenly make someone who is not as comfortable with English mm-hmm. learn so much. So what I've always said is that it's as long as you can get the tonality, right? As long as you can explain it in a way that is native to that language. Mm. Um, you should do it now, um, but if you're just saying, I'm mean, a long back. We used to have this, um, joke. I, I worked in television before this, right. So sometimes when you have to convert a script from English to Hindi, uh, some people would just do a literal translation huh. and that would never make sense. For
0: sure.
1: So what a lot of us would sit down and do is take the literal translation and say, okay, let's make it spoken. Let's make mm. it spoken language because how you write something versus how you say it is so different. So, oftentimes, what you need to really get is, can I explain crypto in Marathi in a way that it's actually spoken? Like, what a regular person who speaks Marathi, get most of it, except for maybe the technical terms.
0: Sure. As
1: long as you can do that, you should do it. Uh, if it becomes too complex and most of the words you use are non-Marathi words, then it's not technically a Marathi podcast anymore.
0: For sure. Interesting. And yeah. what, I, what I think about it is… When I speak in different languages, my tone changes. Like I, I my tone goes yeah. higher, like my pitch goes like yeah. way higher. Let's say in Marathi and let's mm-hmm. in Hindi, because it has emotion involved, right? I don't think um, English has that much emotion involved because for the most part, we're all speaking um, in, in like the mother tongue, at least, at least uh, yeah. not professionally. No, I agree. I, think that's, I, agree.
1: Uh, I, I feel, I mean, that's very important. That's a very valid point because I feel we all learn how to speak our mother tongues, but also I think it's, it's what native to you. Like, like I think about my daughter, my daughter's. I think primary language is English in many ways, because that's what she's spoken the most. Like she's getting Hindi now, but I think now she speaks Hindi as a second language to English. So for Mm. her, all her excitement, everything else comes out in English. It doesn't come out, it it comes out differently in Hindi now. So I I feel at some point, whatever you're most comfortable with um, should be where you start and where you Mm. might have the most energy. But... You shouldn't also sound like someone who has learned a language, just speak in that, but don't have the highs and lows, like you said, right? The highs and lows are important. They actually give it effect. They give it that that whole vibe of what that language actually is. Um, Which is why I look at some of the Hindi podcasts. I'm like, okay, I would never be able to do that because I don't think I will get that pitch. Like, look at how Mantra does his podcast. Like, you know, he just gets that whole, he gets that Bhaskar thing from a Bengali side, but Mm -hmm. he also does like Bhaskar, like how... In the a. So, um, I feel it's about that you need to understand how to give the right punch with the language. Interesting. Okay, that's the right way to put it.
0: Yeah, it's very it's interesting how kids learn the language, right? Like any language. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about it, no one teaches them languages. Like, it's, yes. it's just like and I think Peterson spoke something about it like when, let's say, a parent is teaching you're a parent now, so you can sort of correct it mm-hmm. or comment on this, right? So, what he said was when a parent is teaching their kid a language, they make mm-hmm. sure they make it less complex than they would usually do it. So they mm. get like so. Obviously, if, if a kid is hearing something for the first time, they'll get it wrong, yeah, or partly yeah. wrong. So, deere deere, when you start increasing the complexity of a language, to are talking to a kid. The yeah. kid develops complexity too. I think yeah. th- that's what Peterson said, and it's not what he has. I said. agree. He is, so he read something and he was sort of reiterating that.
1: What do you no, think I agree you? with that entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: my only uh, add-on to
1: that is, I feel oftentimes we've been taught language. From the alphabet and the words mm-hmm. but if you actually learn the language from the use case you learn it faster like if someone taught me like i mean not all languages need to be learned from the alphabet upwards in many ways you can actually learn languages from the use like you know, to know what a glass is you know what a table is um you need to like like i've seen that how my daughter learns language is so different from how i learned language like she learns about pronunciation uh, from the beginning, whereas I think a lot of us did APCD first and eventually came down to pronunciation. I'm also like ancient because I'm like almost 40. Mm-hmm. But I feel it's also that. It's about if you learn how to speak it, um, rather than write, before you learn how to write it, you might actually get the language faster. Because sometimes when you're writing and then speaking, I feel it takes a lot longer. I and mean, that's my perspective. It's not uh, science. But um, like I know that she's learned Hindi because of the fact that you know she will hear Hindi at home. And she's picked up a few words. And now she says them so cleanly and like exactly how, how like a regular person would say it. Whereas when I learned Hindi, I learned Hindi from my textbooks.
0: Sure.
1: But eventually where I learned proper Hindi from was Bollywood. Hmm. So I would just watch movies. I'm like, okay, nobody says hai hey, at the end of every Hindi sentence. But in when you're you writing Hindi in the textbook, everything, every sentence ended with a, hey. I'm like, who says hey? Um And nobody says it. So it's... I feel there's so many interesting things you can actually kind of go into saying why, what is the way in which you teach, but I feel the more and more I'm seeing how teaching and uh, learning has evolved, so how are you going to use it, Um, and as Mm. long as you learn how you're going to use it, it'll just might be faster, Um, which is why you started the simple stuff and add more, but, um, and sometimes you maybe don't even need to know how to write something, you just need to know how to
0: speak it. For sure, right? And what I feel is a couple of languages is getting extended.
1: Sorry, sorry, one second, one second,
0: I'm uh, going to get my dog out one second. Sure. Yeah, so what I think is like a couple of languages are just get, going to get extinct in a couple of years. Right. Mm. And that's mm. a big loss of culture. Like, just think yeah. about it, right? it if, if you, let's say, take Madhushala, Hindi is never going to get mm. extinct from what I think. But let's say yeah. if we ever take Madhushala as a poem, if you convert it in English, I'm not sure if that will have the same. Yeah. You know, the same kick that it has yeah. when you hear it in Hindi. And that's a big loss. So let's say any language gets extinct, the art forms or what the art yeah. in the form of that language is just, just gone. It's, it's weird. I,
1: but at some point I feel the interesting part also is I don't think it is going to. I feel at some point we're moving mm-hmm. towards you learned how to write something. Um because that's the way you could communicate. But as we do more and more voice, I don't think we will lose it entirely. Mm-hmm. But I think it will just be more of a use case scenario, right? How are we using it. Hmm. Uh, you'd rather store it in the archives, but you will still have maybe a small community who still speaks it. For sure. But I feel the more and more, just we needed languages to communicate with each other. Um, some will become archived languages because you don't speak them as much, um, or they almost like code language if you were to think about it, right? Some people, hmm. only a few people know it, and that's how it works. Um, I hope we don't lose the culture like, like you just said, but I feel it's inevitable in some cases sure. or it will just blend into other things.
0: Blend as in like, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, I think about the fact that
1: let's say, let's say, um, how dialects work. Right. Um, hmm. like I come from a state, which has one language is Telugu, but you go district by district, the way it's spoken is so different. Um, Mm. Just the, like I come from coastal Andhra, we stretch our words, right? Each of our Mm. words are stretched. The syllables are stretched. You go more towards the center and people speak much faster. Some of the words we use are slightly different from how, let's say in other parts of the state are so. It's not just languages, it's dialects. I feel what we'll lose first are dialects, mm-hmm. which might either blend into like, you know, eventually everybody might just speak the language in the same way
0: For
1: sure. or some of those dialects will go away and then maybe languages will go unless it's a super, like, I don't know if there's something called a niche language, but I think just the community size is what will uh, affect things. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, languages are super interesting. Like um, I haven't dug deep enough into it, but um would be interesting to see how that evolves, especially when we stop typing at some point. Yeah. I hope that doesn't happen because writing is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But at some point, you might just stop writing and like I said, typing instead of writing. Right? At some point, you were just going to type instead of writing and then eventually not even type anymore. Um, yeah. When it comes to that, how do you make sure some parts of just the calligraphy, how it's written, all that stays. Man,
0: what do you think about the hive mind? Let's say hive mind is, is some sort of an example where we are not typing, we're not writing. It's mm. an entire mind uh, you know what I meant, yeah. right? for sure So yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you think about that how how do you think will that work this may, you can literally just download anyone's experience and mm. make it your own and after a point it's not even that that person's experience because it's, it's one mind collective so,
1: i'm I'm not sold on the concept entirely because I feel that we'll always um our experience is our experience because we look at the world a certain way like you know each of us look at the world a certain way basis how our experiences till that point have been. Hmm. Um, it's like how I look at let's say randomly a color hmm. and versus how you look at color you remember something based on that color. Like if, if I look at a blue I'll remember something else from what you might remember. Which because is. that's what your experiences have been about. When you're sharing experiences I don't know how that would fit into it because others you'll end up just all seeing the same thing we we'll all have mm-hmm. the same experiences, which I feel will make us lose a key aspect of being human, because For if sure. you are truly human, because it's your experiences, how you've seen it, how you seen it as a kid and how that mm-hmm. evolves and how you see it when you grow up and how that changes within your mind. Um, my biggest question mark on the hive mind is that, is that how do you take care of that individual, individual, individualism in that sense? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of evolve from that point? Um, and not just make it all common because if it's all common, then we're all the same, and that's just boring, right?
0: Yeah, no. And, and if you think about it, the only thing that distinguishes one person from another is the way they interpret a sentence, like whatever it be a yeah. sentence or whatever. So what I think is it won't ever happen, like I saw high because for that to happen, yeah. you, you need to have a tyranny established because you want everybody. To just then we're all study. then
1: we're all like cyber, We're all like we're all machines then. Like, yeah. Simple thing. Like you're taking one, like it's like a file which is in our computer versus the same file in another computer is pretty much seeing it the same way, unless the data set or the program it's built on is different. Um, But like if, if you feed a certain level of data into one program and the same program exists on a different computer, they'll both interpret it the same way. Yeah. But we all have different softwares technically. I mean, our operating systems might be the same, but our softwares are very different. Like we, yeah. someone's on like a newer version, someone's on an older version, someone's on like a hacked version in that sense um so i feel that interpretation is key to being human For um her. and if you take that away then i mean i don't know if you if the matrix that's the one big thing i think about the matrix like could you plug in and make someone teach someone a skill yes but could teach someone nuance maybe not
0: well probably right we could still do it right? Because it just it's just a reader right thing after point if we're yeah. having the hive mind, we're just putting a chip inside the brain. We just, that will, that will ruin all the fun. What do you think about uploading yeah. a consciousness to the computer? Do you think, do you want to stay alive uh, in, let's say, a computer format? Yes. Do you want to do it?
1: Um, I wouldn't want to stay alive in a computer format. Do I believe that if somebody said, I want to put a part machine chip in you and you would live longer and stay healthy? I would definitely consider it. Uh, I feel the point of immortality or just like sticking on is that is the experience going to be better or are you just sticking around because you want to stick around is the question. Um, in many cases, it might make more sense to not say, maybe a, 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 an infinite sense might not be a good thing. Um, this is a super interesting book, which I love. I've actually read it a couple of times. It's called uh, 4,000 weeks.
2: Hmm.
1: Right. Um, it basically, um, yeah, it's right. Yeah. Um, it's by an author called Oliver Berkman. And, and he says that the average human life is 4,000 weeks. That's all it is hmm. Right, you live average is about 75, 80 years. Yeah. So 4,000 weeks and suddenly that feels much smaller. Right? It doesn't feel like that long.
0: Yeah.
1: But because it's 4,000 weeks, you suddenly look at your life a certain way. You live it a certain way. You look at what you spend it on. Um, maybe. if it was infinite, would you really care about what you spent your time on as much? Would you value it as much is the question. Hmm. Um, as long as the extension, like I said, gives you a better experience. If it makes you, okay, this is unfinished work. I want to finish. Mm-hmm. This is unfinished life. I want to live longer, but I can live it in a way where I'm not, um, just like a part of a machine yeah. or I'm not just like part of this thing. Then, um, I feel that's it. Um, I, I would look Please at that. It's saddening
0: after a point, right? Just to live after a point. Aye, it sense. Not
1: everything has to last forever. For um, sure. But is there a way that you can share your knowledge from your mind and put it in a database so somebody else can use it tomorrow? Maybe some fun. parts of it, but you know, can you segment that out?
0: Yeah, Because so like, we don't necessarily
1: yeah. want to put everything we ever thought of on public record. Hmm, uh, might be a bad idea for every single person on earth, right? So um how do you do that becomes then the, the point.
0: For sure. it would be fun to have let's say a jack or like a Peterson uh, whatever computer type situation when you ask a question to that computer, they give the answer. Yeah. It's not necessarily them speaking, but it's the way they talk, speaking. I mean, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's circle back to podcast, right? I have a very yeah. weird observation. So what I've mm. seen is most popular podcasts, the, the, the hosts mm. aren't like pure podcast creators. They are usually like, yeah. let's say Rogan is a comedian. Uh, Tim Ferris, mm. he's an entrepreneur. He's an yeah. investor and whatnot. Let's see you. You're not just a podcaster. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I have, I have, I have a hypothesis on that, which is like, a person can only speak valuable stuff on a podcast if and only if they have had certain experience in the real world or else it's just normal conversation normal day-to-day conversation. That's what I think. What do you think about that?
1: Um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Yes is that, you know, each of us comes from, um, it's easier for you to get credibility with an audience if you've done something in the space you're talking about. Right. Um, and so I would say this, the topic of your podcast in many ways comes from what you've done in the past. Like I only did take a pause on mindset building and personality development way after I had done advertising is dead, because I've moved my credibility as an entrepreneur to advertising is dead, Hmm. built enough credibility as a podcaster before starting a podcast. I didn't actually have enough knowledge on like I, 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 what I share over there is not that I know so much about mindset building. I'm sharing that. This is what I'm learning. And I'm just sharing what I'm learning with you. But let's say if someone in, in college, or like if you're doing a podcast, you're coming into this thing. This is my curiosity. I'm coming from the perspective of someone my age with my experience. Um, that's fine too. As long as you're coming and saying my experience is, is where I'm starting from, um, it's fine. Because... That's where your audience also connects to, right? Okay, one second. I, I'm also like around the same age. I also have similar thoughts. I want to hear this conversation to figure out it's almost like my voice is asking the questions hmm. for your audience. And I think that's the layer. You need to use the lesson. What is unique about my show is always going to be the host. What is unique about me in terms of my perspective is what you bring to the table. So, a Rogan's perspective is always going to be that irreverent comedian who's asking questions, which is going to piss half the world off, right? But on the other end, if you look at someone like a, like an Amit Verma, right? Or arguably the best connotationalist podcaster we have in our country. Mm -hmm. Amit is like a super research journalistic voice, right? He's this very accomplished journalist who can talk about like everything from social political stuff to psychology, to economics, but go super deep into them. I mean his show notes are like a treasure because every episode hmm. show notes and links you can go to is itself like going to take you like a week if not more longer to go through and and he comes from that background so he's doing research but if you talk about a podcast which is just so randomly irreverent like i'm thinking of the most irreverent one i hear um i think of uh, there's there's one i've heard a few episodes of which i think is called new kids on the block which IBM does which is just a bunch of kids talking about being kids mm-hmm. and their life and how they look at the world but again it's how they look at the world and as a kids I sure. think they're not even they're younger than you mm-hmm. I won't call you a a kid because you're old you're yeah, you, you, numbers, you you cross numbers, that yeah. you cross that barrier now you cross For that sure. barrier yeah, sure um but it's just that you need to play from your strong point
2: mm-hmm.
1: of saying this is my experience hence my voice comes from this versus if I was tomorrow to go onto a medical podcast and claim to be someone who knows about medicine, that's never going to fly. Yeah. And I, you're going to get called out sooner or later. I think once to say, what do you know about this? Um, and that's where you kind going to come in and say, okay, just because I grew up in a family of doctors does not mean I know enough about medicine. Is,
0: is Interesting. The Would you still do the podcast if you have like no audience? Like just just zero audiences? No one's listening to it? mm. I asked this question to Vinamra. I'm not sure if you know of, about him. I know Vinamra. Yeah, you yeah. You know, yeah. Haan, say. Those yeah. ko kuch he? He used life. to be I, He he was at IBM yeah, briefly yeah,
1: yeah. when I was when I started off my show. So I remember him that. I, mean, I we've chatted a few times. Um, not all my podcasts. I would do take a pause even if I didn't have an audience because I do it for a very specific reason. It's it's a channel for me to share what I'm learning. Um, it helps me channelize my thoughts. I, you know, it's literally it's one of those processes I go through. Um. The business ones, I'm not so sure. I think Advertising, is Israel Think fast are what they are because of the audience. Um, it's mm. They've evolved because of the audience. If someone listens to an episode and says, okay, mm. I'd want more of this. Or I you know why aren't you talking about that yet? And I've evolved the show over the years because of that. I don't think that would evolve as much. I think every podcast needs an audience, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only show which I might still do if I didn't have an audience uh, would be Take a Pause
0: interesting for me i'd do the podcast if i don't have an audience and i have a reason for that right because i'm getting like interesting people on the show and i won't get them any which ways at this age it's really difficult for me to get a job and sort of get in touch with them whereas podcasting for me it's kind of the easiest way to do it so i think it works for me but yeah still for sure right for most podcasts they develop the way the audience is right if the audience is dropping off at x point you have to make sure that you're not saying that stuff over and over again okay so what have you learned about podcasting let's say the Indian podcasting audience, like something very Mm. peculiar, peculiar learning about the Indian podcast audience.
1: Um, I think that Indian podcasting audience really likes, um, I put it this way, there is, I feel we're just beginning to understand what the Indian podcasting audience is. I don't Mm. think they necessarily care about something just being audio or just being video or what the format differences are. They want content that is not talking over them, but is talking to them something they can really understand. Um, if you look, which is why nuance is something which is a lot trickier in India yet. There are some which go super nuanced and it works. But I feel largely a lot of our podcasts still need to talk to someone who's saying, okay, I I want to learn more. I want to know more. And I, I like that part about the audience. Um, I feel the big part of our audience is, is lying in non-English. Um, mm. I feel the largest part of the Indian podcasting audience will be in Hindi, will be in regional languages. And I feel that's now getting tapped into, but I feel that's super under tapped. But, um, my biggest learning has been that I always considered audio and video separate,
2: Hmm.
1: um, as saying, you know, something works in audio doesn't have to be in video, um, and I come from a video background, but, um, I feel that it's, it's such an interesting combination of, uh, of putting both out and realizing they're two very different audiences, but yet also the same audience, um, people like to consume it in different ways. Um, And that's been my learning. Um, I don't think there's anything anything innately different about the Indian audience. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, Except I don't think they listen to as many three-hour long episodes as the West does.
2: For
1: sure. -hmm. But uh, but Amit Verma has a fabulous audience. So he does two, three-hour, he's done a five-hour episode. Um, So um, there is, and he has a solid audience. So I don't know. I think we're still very early to understand Mm -hmm. it. We have definitely gone beyond radio audience. We've definitely now come to a point where podcasts are getting more and more mainstream, you have brands want to invest into it, which means that they are mainstream, but people want more than just conversations. Uh, People want direct. So um, if you're just talking to them onto your mic and not even having a chat episode, that might actually do really well compared to a chat episode. You might just give them like Mm -hmm. a five minute audio blog and that might do really well compared to a highly edited piece. So it's not about the it's it's not about the content being longer in in that sense. It's about saying how directly are you giving it to someone, um, and are they getting bang for their buck from like minute one? Um, is where I think a lot of it is coming from. Um, again, these are like a random set of learnings I've had because I think that o- overall the audio consumer is the same globally, um, mm-hmm. but I feel these are more Indian ones which I've at least realized.
0: Okay, how how, how did IBM happen? Like how is how is it like? working with a podcasting company, are there like mm-hmm. sort of restrictions that you have to keep in mind while recording a podcast?
1: So I've been with them now for a good like what, three, 2018 to two, four years now. Um, there aren't really any restrictions personally uh, in the sense that obviously the, the podcast is distributed and monetized by them. Um, mm-hmm. The producer comes from their end, your sound engineering, mastering, this, all of that happens from their end. My job is to bring myself and help curate the guests. Um, that's how it works. Um. But it's been great to see because I've seen IVM obviously from the time I joined when they were still reasonably smaller to now being an entire scaled organization with like solid sales team, all that stuff happening like literally like two floor office now in, in Bombay. And what's been great is to, to have someone to bounce stuff off, mm-hmm. uh, someone to give you broader perspective beyond just your show. Hmm. Um, that's been super valuable. Um so that's actually been great. And IBM actually happened to me because there's a show called the Filter Coffee Podcast with Karthik Nagarajan. Mm-hmm. Um, Karthik was recording his pilot and asked me to be his guest for his pilot because the pilot wasn't going to go live. I finished that, came out, started chatting with Amit who's the founder at IBM and later on came as a guest on another show of theirs and we got mm-hmm. chatting again and that's how I did that happened. Like my deal with them happened literally um, post that. And uh, what I've actually learned from them is I can constantly sit with them and also understand where the market's going, how the data's working. Um, also, uh, understanding what formats are working beyond mine. Right? Because you can mm. talk about what other shows that are doing well. I want to understand what do who can I collab with. Like, Sometimes you end up bringing another podcast guest on. You're part of a network. So you play mm. on that uh, as well. Um, so it it all not really helps to have someone like that who knows how to do this. And also like the fact that you don't have to master it don't have to distribute it yourself is For like sure. great because my job ends after I stop recording. Mm. Um after that it's on them. Um so that's been great. Which is why like my literally two of my shows, both things first and advertising is at both with uh, IBM. I um they produce it only on only, only take up as I do by myself.
0: Interesting. So what is it about podcasts that you dislike? What did you change about the podcasting? whatever about industry or scene?
1: Um discovery. Um I feel mm. we still haven't figured out how to make discovery easier. I mean we I don't think we need to rethink the wheel, we just need to understand like how you would search for something on YouTube. This is how you have to try and search something on on, on even a Spotify which has gotten much better now is so different, right? Um I okay. think the big thing is while we're trying to solve for monetization, I feel what we all need to solve for is discovery. Um how do the algos throw up the right uh, podcast people to listen to. How do you make sure a, a new podcast still gets listenership? Um, that's the key thing that needs to be changed. Um, monetization, I think, will happen the old school way. You will eventually scale to having enough ads there. Um, we'll have programmatic ads come in, which I think is what is needed for yeah. most podcasters. It's basically like you know go like can can you monetize like use about tanme episode right? Mm-hmm. Now the tanme episode for me came out in 2020. Um, I can't monetize that episode right now because my ads are built into the audio file that was uploaded hmm. so till programmatic comes in whenever when IBM's bringing it on hopefully i, I know they are bringing it on sometime soon um, that's when they can sell even that episode with an ad so i can make money off an older episode versus now i can only make mon- money on what i'm releasing now or will release tomorrow so once that changes you'll make money like how youtubers make money um, so i sure. think that two things bringing programmatic at scale across the world but i think the biggest problem is discoverability uh, we haven't figured out discoverability on
0: audio. Interesting. Let's just jump to your book, right? So, hmm. what's your book about? Let's let's start from the scratch. Beginning ah. se kya scene?
1: So, my book's called Everything Is Out of Syllabus. Um, the idea was simply um, from it came from a, de- a basic insight which I had that there are. I'm almost 40 now and. Between the ages of 18 and 24, I I was a very confused person. I had a lot of stuff, which I hadn't figured out, really struggled with. And I said, what would me as an almost 40 year old try to tell me at 18 and 20? Um, And I realized that there are a bunch of things in our lives that we never really taught. We only learn as we go along. Uh, We never taught how to start things. We never taught how to make choices. We never taught how to learn. We never taught how to make connections with other people, build relationships. And we never taught how to reflect within ourselves. Um, and I, basically the book is a distillation of these five things into smaller chapters. Now uh, it's an easy read. You can literally go from chapter to chapter, Don't go any flow you want. It's not just me giving any form of learnings from my own life. It's also a bunch of stuff I've learned from um, a lot of really smart people from across the world, right? Mm. Um, so. It's just distilled down to that. So it's a way for anybody to sit down and say, if there was ever a rule book for my life, how would I build it? I would build it across these primary tenets. And um, yeah, the the book kind of happened also because, I mean, I I got connected to someone from Penguin and they said, Mm -hmm. do you want to write a book? And I said, I want to write a book called... At that point in time, the title was longer. It was basically going to be uh, work is crossed off, life is crossed off, Relationships are crossed off, all of that. And then say eventually everything is out of syllabus. Oh, sure. So mm-hmm. we realized that it was too long. We even did a title. I remember we did a title design, j- all of that. And we realized that didn't make sense. So, um, and they said, let's write it. Um, I started writing it in March, 2020, mm-hmm. 2021, finished it by October, 2021. And it came out this Feb.
0: Interesting. How is it doing like book? book events like book promotion events are they fun or are they like just a formality now that oh you have to I really like it um, like so um,
1: it? I've not done too many I did a lot of few virtual ones I've done two in person ones plan to do a lot more in person once colleges and stuff open up um, okay. end of May June onwards Um, but whatever I've done I mean as long I've just kept it simple have a lot more audience interaction like I, I did one in Delhi which I think went on for three hours because the oh, wow. everybody was there just chatting right? we were just hmm. like just jamming on, on questions everybody had um, so as long as you keep it that way, it's great fun to do because you get to kind of talk to people about like how we are talking, right? Just have nuanced conversation, talk about specific points from the book um, or someone who kind of popped in and just want to speak about it. And I remember my daily event fondly because I, the youngest person, I think, was 16. The oldest was 65. Oh, my God. Um, hmm. So nice r- range of people kind of coming in and you having those conversations and… And end of the day, what you're talking about is life. Um, You know, you're talking about life. You're talking about um, how to deal with work and how to deal with relationships and how to deal with learning things which you're interested in. And um, what I've continued to do is just really talk about the specific points in the book, which I think will give people value. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, from whatever I have read and consumed from authors, putting a book out might actually be the easy part. Um, Continuing to talk about it is like a lifelong thing will talk about this book for life. You'll even if you write more books, you will continue to speak about your books for life. Um, sure. And um, because also like you, you distilled on so much learning onto into one like literally like books lying around somewhere here, mm-hmm. one tiny uh, book there, and um, I feel in in many ways it's actually been one of the most creatively enriching uh, processes I've been through.
0: Interesting. Did you like memorize an entire like pitch script? Like before every event which you said or did you just wing every
1: event no nothing I oh, just wow. go in and say this. so um, I, I, both events I had uh, people who are moderators who just asked me questions about the book mm-hmm. but I largely remember what I wrote about in the book so I don't necessarily have to go back and refer um to it um, specific parts I might forget um, because mm-hmm. I sometimes you write it you tend to forget the the baseline of what you wrote but at a broad level I know what I have written about across all the chapters so it is more about Am I answering this in a way that also evolves, right? I feel the more and more you speak to authors, you realize that what you've written is never, especially nonfiction, um, never a, f- a full stop, um, For it sure. evolves. I mean, you go back to even like the, 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 what is that? The 10,000 hour rule, mm-hmm. which, uh, I think came out with Malcolm Gladwell's, I think, was it outliers? I think outliers, uh, Yeah, um, and he was one of the first people to kind of put it out there, mm-hmm. um, he till date says that even though that's one of his biggest hits as a book, he's like that one thing has evolved. He doesn't believe in that anymore. Mm. um He actually believes that it's far more nuanced than just saying you know, 10,000 hours and you've mastered it. um You got to look at it slightly differently from that sense. So, yeah, I, I feel uh, even what you put down on paper will evolve. Uh, mm. What you need to have is an engaged conversation with your audience. Interesting.
0: Why a book though? You're a podcaster. Why? What is it about writing a book which an audio format in which you are speaking can't deliver?
1: Hmm. I feel a book, if you look at... I mean, I've worked across all mediums now. Hmm. Um, I've worked in television. I've worked in digital content. Um, I've worked in um, podcasting. I feel a book is one of the most... Um, it's such a singular activity. It's not... You know, every other piece you are kind of working with someone, you're dealing with an audience while building it, it there's legs to it. Mm. A book is you sitting in a room, writing for months and if not years, and it's all on you. Um, You got to figure out how it flows. So as a creative endeavor, there is, I haven't had an experience quite like it. Um, I started off writing a book saying, okay, I always wanted to write a book. I want to see how it feels like. But once I've written one book, I know that it's, um, I mean, it's a whole different feeling altogether. I mean, there's okay. something to it, which I'm, I don't know how to explain, but more than anything, it it's, it's. I feel the purest form of content creation.
2: For sure.
1: Uh, if you do it right. I mean, if you're doing it like, okay, this is what I'm writing, putting it down, work with an editor to kind of help you like, fill the gaps in terms of, um, see, this wasn't clear or this needs more explaining or maybe this shouldn't be there, but... Um, Compared to all of mediums, which feel like they're more evolving beasts, mm-hmm. um, I feel the traditional ones, like say books or even cinema in that sense, um, in different ways are almost those you spend so much time creating them
2: mm-hmm.
1: versus everything else feels like you're just creating always. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote this book in like seven, eight months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people who have written books for two years um, and it's a process. You, you make it a part of your day. You, your finish line is far away. But you're just doing it. And there's a process that on a daily basis, without that payoff ever being a part of what you're thinking of, you're just working on it. Versus I feel with every other medium, you're thinking of the payoff a lot sooner. For sure. Like, okay, I've recorded the podcast, it'll come out next week. Next it'll week. come out two weeks later. Yeah. Um, book I'm like what, seven, eight months later, it's going to come out. And even after it comes out, I'm still like figuring out like how to evolve it. I have to do the audio book now. So I'm like sitting and planning how to do Will the audio book. Will you be speaking and... for that? Like your voice?
0: Yeah, yeah oh. I'm, doing my, I'm
1: doing the voice. Yeah.
0: Man, I think something about books and let's say even cinema, right? That, that mm-hmm. form of expression, let's say a person is listening to it or reading it it's, or watching it. It's not like a podcast where you can just switch on the podcast and start working, right? Yeah. Because most of the people, while listening to podcasts, they're either driving or like whatever. They're working on something. Whereas at least in cinema and books, you can't do that. Because like books, it's impossible to read. Whereas let's say if it's an audiobook, I think it, it's sort of in the middle, like book and uh, podcast. No, I agree.
1: It's deeply involved. Um... um from the creation standpoint, even before you get into the creation. Um, hmm. like, and and the thing with cinema also and books, right? You might spend 10 years of your life doing something and it might just end up getting like bad reviews and no one reads it. Hmm. But I feel the payoff of you, of you actually doing it, um, it's going to far um, outweigh however the results might be in most cases. I don't think in That's all good. cases, um, you'll obviously mm-hmm. want it to do well. Let's be honest. But like, I think like what Atomic Habits, James Clare wrote it over three, four years. He took to write the book um, mm. in bits and pieces because if you're either doing a job or doing something else, you're taking time out. Like I would like write early mornings or sometimes on in afternoons when I had an extra couple of hours um, over the span of the seven, eight months. Um, and I know that's how people write, write late night, early morning, try to take a weekend and go do that. I took like one week off work to literally hit my deadlines because I really missed out, um, okay. I missed a bunch of deadlines. But um, yeah, it's, it's the process is super enriching. Um, you're not thinking about payoff. You're not even thinking about data and those things that you used to modern content creation, mm-hmm. like this is, it's, 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 it's super pure. Awesome.
0: We're in the last segment of the podcast, cause it's already six. And, uh, am I like sort that's of coming in between off? Cool,
1: I, I have a few things to finish, but it's not, it's not a call. So I can, I can go
0: on. Okay. So what do you think about the Indian content space? What is it about the Indian content space that you dislike? Uh, what do I dislike
1: about the Indian content space? Um, I feel the more and more it evolves, so oftentimes we try to make it more of the same.
2: Hmm.
1: And I'm saying this because we've come from the time of television to now digital content. Um, but I feel many of the larger formats of, of content is still pretty much the same. Like we don't... Um, I, I know there have been people like, let's say, a, a TVF mm-hmm. or uh, you know, Pocket Aces and some of these others who really evolved how narrative happens on fiction, for instance. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but has your mass level content evolved more apart from a bunch, which I'm super excited about. Like you know, when, when Scam92 came out, I'm like, that's like, awesome. it's, it's it's an evolved piece of content. Mm-hmm. But you have so much of the same stuff. It's just like repackaged, redone. I feel that's what Um, I feel there is a revolution coming there. It's already happening, Um, but in my head, it should should happen sooner. Yes, Mm -hmm. but on the other end of the spectrum, I feel what's also happened is a lot of the digital content, which you saw with social content, especially in YouTube, um, bringing out different kinds of voices, because you're seeing something works and it's not an Indian problem. It's a global problem. Okay. Let me follow that format. Like, let me do, okay. everyone's making reels this way. And I've fallen prey to that as much as anybody else did let so reels as well. Let's make reels like that. Um, someone's getting these kind of guests on your podcast. Let's get these kind of guests on your podcast. Are we doing enough to give people variety that they can actually? Oh my god, I didn't know that this was something I could, I would want to consume. It's riskier, but mm-hmm. I feel in the long term that might actually be less risky than doing what everybody else is doing anyway. But um, I feel that that comes from just basic risk aversion, right? You want to do more of what's worked. And um, that's what I've always disliked. I mean, I've disliked that since I started off in content way back in television, um, is that we still worry way too much in experimenting. Um, and that's happening in YouTube now, which I'm seeing. And I'm like, don't make all YouTube, all Instagram people doing the same thing. Right? Everyone has the same kind of Twitter threads. everybody will have the same kind of real formats. Um, how do you make sure that's different? Like I've fallen into a trap so many times. And then I suddenly one day look at my feed and think, why am I doing videos like everybody else? Why am I not talking about something which I, which I should talk about? And I give myself a smack at the back of my head. and like, let's, let's figure something out, right? Um, I yeah. feel more of us need to do that to ourselves as content creators.
0: It, it, it's saddening, it's right? If you think about it, any popular content piece on, let's say, YouTube, you can just put them in a box. Like, let's say, four boxes. Yeah. You name a box for a specific. It's like a similar archetype they have for producing content. Yeah. works, and they're making money in which ways. It also comes to a platform.
1: Yeah, no, for, look forget it right. thumbnails one. today are more important than the content on YouTube because the thumbnail mm. decides how the content does um, I feel it's also on that but it's also about just people playing safe people going by okay this chalta hai is the biggest problem in the world hmm. right uh, this is working let's not ch- why do you have to change it um, but only when you change it do you realize if something different can also work for and sure, right? from time to time, some mm-hmm. people try and that changes. Like, I think what, like, even like, talking mass content, right? I'm talking like Shark Tank India,
2: hmm.
1: I knew so many people who said it not work in India because people have tried and failed. Yeah. Yeah. This worked so well. Mm-hmm. Why it worked is they made one innate change. I don't know if you know, there were actually been two other versions of Shark Tank in India before the Shark I Tank know. happened. Mm-hmm. There were two, biz- I think one or two business channels who did versions of it. There was called, some, I think it was called The Pitch, if I remember right. Uh, way back, a business channel did it. Hmm. Super okay. serious, very on point, mostly technical terms, damn boring. Sure. Right. Here they said, one second, my audience is not the people who already know about VC funding. Hmm. My audience is that person who has no idea about this world. How do I kind of normalize and democratize this whole conversation? So they're stuck to that. They've chose, right? Uh, in terms of the sharks they got on. But they made it deeply entertaining in a way that I think all of us eventually watched. And you sometimes don't even have to rethink the wheel. You just have to make sure that you don't stick to saying, okay, this is what has worked in the US. Let me do the exact same thing. Like, if you, even if you watch, like, what? Dragon's Den? Uh, which is the UK version. So the original show of Shark Tank is called Dragon's Den, if I remember the name right. This is a UK show. And um, the the US, it becomes Shark Tank. Hmm. And... Those two shows are the UK one is super boring. Very serious. It's like so drab and very serious. It's got a lot of the same Masala, Ajah. but it's just like it's very Britishly like cold. Right? Huh. The lighting okay. is very cold, even sitting in the dungeon kind of a thing. But the American one is obviously very flashy the same way. Sure. So you need to bring in your cultural nuance in, but you need to rethink the format for your audience um in the right way and i feel now that shark tank's work they want going to have 50 other shows on similar lines that people will want to pitch yeah, for sure for sure right next next big content creator or like ugla uh, youtuber con you'll we'll have all of that stuff coming up right um that is the one trap you all fall into like more of the same will come and then eventually one more shark tank kind of thing will happen and then everyone will want to do that for sure um, but I you can't help they, ourselves um, yeah
0: i think like when a content piece is successful at least in india the way to sort of figure it out it's memes if there are memes about that yeah. specific content piece it means yeah, these guys have nailed it because see I it's, I it's a weird thing about memes right because it's how do you define a meme there's no clear definition okay let's try defining a meme what do you what do you, what do you mean by a meme? Well, I,
1: I i think a meme is um expressing an innate human emotion through pop culture
0: interesting interesting but because if you yeah, look at any meme which uh, you relate
1: to it's it's so universal in what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't watched the show. Like, I think I saw the Aman meme before I saw the episode where he said it.
0: Huh, huh. From
1: Shark Tank. Because you mentioned Shark Tank just now. Um, and because... and it, But it, it still made sense to me, right? Um, you get the vibe to at least 50% of the case. And then you see the actual content, you get 100% of it. But... It needs to be uh, almost like a general emotion that anybody can feel. If it's too niche, then I think memes don't work as well. If it's very like universal and when you see it, you know what it's about and you laugh. um, And you're taking that piece out of pop culture, then that's, I mean, that's for me a meme.
0: Yeah, and the thing about memes is memes are so accessible. And despite the fact that they are so layered, right? If you think about it, a meme has so much context behind it. And it's not like a very normal joke, right? A, no, a normal joke can just have a setup and a punchline. Whereas, even a, the most simpler meme, it has so many layers. And that's what, you, no one can create that like sort of artificially. So what I'm trying to say is, let's say a couple of companies have actually tried the meme advertising mm. format. You might obviously know about it. Why yeah. do you think that's not worked?
1: Um, doing just meme advertising won't work because it will always be something you do in parts. It's never the whole of advertising. The whole okay. of advertising will also be... So, pop culture is you connecting to culture, which is basically what's happening right now. You're topical. But when you look at broader strategy, that's a lot more... Uh, that's the non-meme kind of work. It's still talking about long-term, what are the brand stand for, what's the voice, all that stuff. So, um, this will always be a part of the mix. It can't be the entire mix. because, hmm. And even like before, right, you would have pop culture references, you would do all of that stuff, even before memes became a thing in advertising. But you still had to do other stuff... So, I think the problem is that as meme companies have had to grow and evolve, um, they've also realized this is a part of what they do. It's not the whole.
0: Interesting. Have you like worked with brands in terms of memes sort of? Um, an anecdote from that? Have we done that? So, we've actually
1: worked with Netflix for the longest time since they came to India as an agency. Uh, hmm. We worked with a bunch of uh, mothers. I mean, we've, we've done some... Uh, we've done a lot of work for them. So obviously meme was a strong part of how that, because he literally would put out pop culture to make sure that people would make that into um, stuff that they would share. Um, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind, but um and we would have a team who works on that, who kind of evolves that, but over time I've actually seen that it helps to have people with that unique skill set as part of the team, because mm-hmm. they can pick up that topicality, put it out there. And the best people to hire for that are people who make these memes online themselves. Uh, hire someone who does memes mm-hmm. for fun, make this part of their job, and and also give them a certain level of freedom, and also make sure the client gives them that level of freedom uh, to be able to really do what they do best, and uh, then they, they do all the magic.
0: I think I think one of the best companies that have sort of tried doing it or have done it is somato Like if you check somato Twitter, yeah, yeah. it's easy yeah, and it works. Because right? Akshar Akshar patak, right? Akshar, yeah, Akshar, Akshar patak Akshar. has been working
1: there for a the long yeah. time, and Akshar has been doing that really well. Um, again it depends on that person um, it's, it depends on the person who is doing it could be the group of people who are doing it they need to be have that whole um, they need to have that tap on culture they need to have that tap on how to make something into a meme hmm. which I feel is not a, something you can teach but something you can innately just come from you
0: interesting awesome so last question from the podcast I am turning 18 next year Take care.
1: Hmm.
0: what do you want to say to me?
1: nothing I feel that if you are turning 18 next year then um, you are in no rush to have to do everything before you're 19. Um, I feel the biggest problem with the world we live in is that you're told everything has to happen now, that you need to achieve everything. You need to do everything right now. You can't wait for tomorrow. But I feel that as much as you might believe life is short, life is long. And you need to soak in and ha- make sure every experience you have is something you actually like enjoy hmm. and not just something you rush through. So I've, literally my, my advice to anyone who's like 18 and below or even like 20, 21 is that don't just rush through it and say, okay, I'm coming towards like one target and I want to move towards it. I'm not enjoying every experience I have today. Cause this period between your time you're 19 and actually even 30 is a very unique period of experiences. Um, you experience so much about how the broader world works. You get to experience, um, even experiment about where your career and life might go. Um, and then the 30s happen and 30s is when you kind of stabilize a little bit right um and then you get to my part of the of the stick which is 40 where i'm still figuring out what that means um but um i would say that you don't have to rush to do everything right now um but make sure whatever you're doing you're giving yourself the opportunity to experiment hmm. um and and not say okay this is what i'm doing so I'm going to work on that but don't put yourself in a box try out different things you never know what comes your way um and what you actually find to be, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a large part of my life. And then that might change in three years. Um, and, and that's how things evolve.
0: For sure. Thank you so much, man. It's been great talking to you. Uh, guys, Likewise. All the links for Varun will be in the description down below. You can check those out. Until the next episode. Bye-bye. Uh, I'll stop. the